Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Okay. <clears throat> talk, talk. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hi, Katie. <laughs> Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk. This is your weekly podcast, Book Club. And this week, we finished Writers and Lovers by Lily King. We are going to talk about this last section of the book. Then we'll be joined by our special guest to talk about the themes of the book overall. So Katie is going to start by summarizing what happened in this last section. I feel like in a satisfactory way, we wrapped up all of the loose ends this week. We start this section with Casey watching Oscar's Kids for the Weekend as his paid babysitter, which is a little weird, but she falls right into full mom mode. We see everything kind of starting to work out for her. She gets this teaching job at this maybe not realistic, but lovely private school. She reconnects with Silas. They have an intense game of chess. She goes to all of her follow-up doctor's appointments. Everything is perfectly fine. Her friends show up to support her. All works out perfectly well there. Her brother Caleb comes to visit, and they get a little bit of closure by spreading the ashes of her mom in the ocean along with her landlord slash roommate Adam. And then she starts her job at the dream school and gets an amazing dream number for her book deal. So it's all working out. <laughs> As you were saying this, I remembered the part of the book that I blocked out, which is when she feeds her mom's ashes to the geese. I think I blacked out during that. Does that actually happen? <laughs> Does she do that? Yes. With Silas, yes. No, I fully blacked out during that. I don't know what happened, but I don't. That's not inside my brain, and now it is, and I'm upset about it. <laughs> Gross. I care very little about what happens to my physical body after I die because I'm dead. But I would prefer for it not to be fed to fucking geese. Let me just say that right now. Gross. I mean, I hate <laughs> geese, and I agree with this concept. I hate geese, swans, the whole situation. Absolutely not. Feeding me to geese is like. Fuck you. <laughs> I don't like it. That's really creepy. So much happened in this last section. I'm really shocked with how much she crammed into the end. I fully forgot, as you'll hear in the second half of this episode, fully forgot that she did end up going to see a therapist. She also got a new job, started at this crazy private school. What did you think about that last kind of segment of the book where she gets hired at this school. She has an insane interview, an insane first day, and then this crazy writer's workshop. I think this school is not real, but I wish it was. <laughs> I think it just seems like everything, everything worked out for Casey exactly as it was like supposed to. Do I think it will stay that way forever? Obviously not, but it is, seems to be perfect right now. This school seems wild. Like everyone is really happy and they have like a rock band and a writer's workshop and everyone shows up for it. And she gives this like perfect speech. It just seemed a little bit too good to be true. The private school part of it. I also felt like it was just a really weird subplot. We spent this entire novel with Casey as a server writing a novel <laughs> in this novel. And then all of a sudden now she's a teacher and that's like actually what her dream job is. And she's just going to publish books and be an English teacher. I think it would have been more realistic if she published her novel and then went back to the restaurant or like went back to serving in some way while she kind of waited for it to kick in, started on her second novel. This just seemed like was the whole point of the private school to show that she was actually ultra talented and then to reintroduce her to Silas. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. 
I think this is my issue with this book. There are all of these subplots that are brought here to teach us something about Casey and what she's going through. Like this book is all about being inside Casey's head. And I feel like the subplots are underdeveloped because their sole purpose is just like, what, what is the one thing Casey gets out of this? And we could probably just say that if that makes sense. Yeah. I think also to me, and I'm not a teacher, but to me, okay, I'm not a teacher and I don't have young children around me, but I do have nieces and nephews. And I feel like in this last section she writes a lot more about Oscar's kids and spending time with them and it didn't remind me of the way kids talk nor did it remind me of the way kids behave and the school did not remind me of any school I've ever been to or any teacher I've ever heard and the things that happen in the school also just seem so insane which is fine if we've like established that this is a real school in a way that feels tangible but instead it's just like this mechanism for her to meet silas again right, in like some way yes like it's not if this school and the creation of it had been like a plot line throughout the book of why she wanted to work at this school or why it was so amazing but it was just like thrown at us like of course she wouldn't work there it's amazing here's why it was kind of weird i thought the part about oscar's kids was very sweet i think it was almost like a little too much sugar it was like those moments with kids happen, right? Like they say something at 5 a.m. that you're like, oh, that kind of like rocked the way that I'm processing this or thinking about this. Or they say something that's incredibly sweet or do something that's incredibly sweet. But those incredibly sweet moments are bookended by like the wild life that I'm sure it is to raise two little boys. And I don't know, I don't have kids, but I would just assume that it's not all like sunshine and smiles and processing our feelings. <laughs> like it did seem a little bit too good to be true and I do think I read that critique of it as well like Oscar's boys are almost too good to a fault I don't know if that's because they are maybe overcompensating because they did lose their mom and so maybe there's something a little bit deeper there like they're trying to be really good because they're scared of that loss or maybe there's something that we don't know but again it's not clear to us if that's what Lily King wants us to get out of that section and out of her falling into Oscar's life my point of reference for the kids is my niece, Amaya, and she has grown up super close to my mom and I. She has both of her parents, have always has always had both of her parents, and if she stays the night away from her parents, she still will have, like, a little bit of a breakdown. Like, kids are not cool with a stranger, and I get, like, they're in their home so it's different but the fact that like oscar can just leave and everything goes super well with her super well yes and they feel super close to her not resentful of her at all not like weird that there's this strange person in their house that's not mm -hmm. their mother like i just feel like everything i know about step parents and like your parents yeah. dating someone new just seems like that experience would have gone completely differently 100 percent I also feel like these kids are old enough. I mean, the only experience I have is like babysitting kids too, but I feel like they're like, oh, my mom always lets me eat seven cookies after dinner. And you are just like constantly having to figure out like, what is, what is this kid like manipulating me and what's actually true? And they're just like, we'll go put ourselves in the bath. I'm like, whose kids are these? Whose kids are these that were like, actually, we'd love to take a bath and go read a little book before bed. I'm like, this is a lie. <laughs> Maybe they are just angel children. I don't know. Maybe all the kids I've ever dealt with are wild, but. I'm also 
like okay i'm sorry i did not like this book as you can tell as you have been able to tell most likely through the entire um episodes i'm dying that she gave this speech to a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers about how like what it means to be a writer and she told them about her debt and i think it was silas later who was like that's so important like it's so good that you shared that i'm like kids have no concept of the fu- what the fuck debt is like they don't absolutely care. not when i graduated high school they were like you're going to be so far in debt and i was like sweet i'll pay it back no problem what's debt like i, I mean, don't someone get will forgive 75 <laughs> $75,000 in debt is absolutely meaningless to like high schoolers. Like I feel like maybe if they're like 17. I feel like that was meaningless to me until last year. <laughs> also the idea that like you should just amass a bunch of debt to like follow your dreams is like maybe not the best advice. No, I think that's literally the most unproductive advice, but that is what happens in high school is everybody's like, this is what you have to do. You just, unless you have parents who pay for college, but like for the rest of us, they're just like, a part of life is that you take out a ton of debt to possibly be able to make the payments someday. Cheers. Like, I feel like that's actually the opposite of the message that we should be sending. Jason and I were talking about this last night. Um, like a situation had happened and he was like, sometimes I just, when things like this happen, I just think about how little kids know about like finances, about what that means for your future life, about money in general and how to handle it and how so many people don't have anyone to teach them that. And you're just supposed to like, learn it on your own, which I know is kind of a side tangent of this, but I do think it's extremely unhelpful to be like, I have $75,000 in debt and I am doing great. And I have, and all my dreams came true and yours can too. Look, that part was not good. Yeah. Mm. I, she just lost me. Like, I feel like she really could have landed the plane in this last section and like Mm -hmm. said something really profound. And instead it was like, oops, it all worked out. Yeah, I love that. One loose end I want to tie up is her kind of mental health issues. And I do feel like through this whole part, we were kind of talking about how what she's going through really isn't that bad. And we kind of had like an ongoing debate about this. And I I think in the grand context of how bad life can be, she is okay, right? Which we have said. But I think there is a point in therapy when she kind of lists off all the things that have happened to her. And her therapist is like, this is not nothing. It's okay that this is like hard. This is not nothing. And just because it's not this as bad as it could possibly be doesn't mean it's not something to deal with. I think that's like an important point about mental health in general. I don't think that's the point of the book. I don't know what the point of the book was, but I did like that specific small point. And I liked, um, like I think I say later on in in part two as well, the kind of comparison to bees in her body. And then for a minute when she feels okay, like it turning to honey and her being able to breathe. So I think some of those metaphors were good, but I still don't really know what she was trying to say about mental health in general or about grief in general. I feel like the story was fine, but I am still kind of struggling to figure out what we were supposed to like really get from it. What do you think? Same. I'm not sure what the journey was, right? So every book presumably should follow like the hero's journey where they're trying to like solve something. They're going on this process. We're going on this process with them in order to like get somewhere to achieve something. And I don't like in the end, she sells the book and ends up with Silas and gets a new job. Maybe one of three of those could have been central if there was really like a lot of tension there. But it seems like 
her and Silas weren't really developed enough for me to care or for me to like him or for me to root for their love story. Her job also, she didn't care about it. She doesn't really seem like that interested in being a teacher other than the fact that it like suits her writing schedule. And I don't even remember what the third one was. Oh, her book. Like her book has been done and we also don't know that much about what it was about or what it involved. Like I feel like she's just, she disappears. Basically Casey sort of disappears and writes and comes back to the book like we come back to her perspective after she spent time writing. So there's not enough emphasis on the writing process for me to really be rooting for her book to succeed either. It just seemed like, of course, the book's going to succeed. I do wish that she would have focused kind of on one of the plot points and we could have become really invested in it. I felt like I was just kind of side from the sidelines watching Casey's life. And I wish I would have been really invested kind of in the outcome of it. One review that I read or one like commentary on the book that I read was talking about how maybe Lily King was trying to speak about what it feels like to go through grief and that the fact that there are all these things happening, but she's kind of in a haze and she kind of can't like get her feet under her, but also she's fine, but also nothing is fine. Maybe was just kind of her ode to what it feels like to go through grief, but I don't even feel I feel like we could make the case like I could argue that point and maybe get somewhere but I don't feel like that point is obvious and that's kind of my issue with the book in general is like there's a lot of things that could be being done a lot of things that like could be trying to do but I don't know that any of them are really like completed I agree there's a lot of good quotes and takeaways like little one-off things that Lily says she's definitely a really good writer I felt also I felt like I understood Casey I get where she's coming from it felt very authentic to be inside of her head but as we've said like I just don't find her to be she wasn't going on a journey for me that I wanted to be on I felt like this is like sadly again a very white book a very white girl who like is going through things that are difficult and I get that they're difficult but I why does it bother you that she's white and going through things though I mean there's no recognition of the fact that she's got a ton of white privilege a ton of pretty privilege a ton of ableist privilege like she's like going to the doctors nothing's wrong she's doesn't get that job she's got six other job offers that she can just take or leave whatever she gets evicted it all works out like I feel like she there's just like a lot of social support systems that she has and like this really great friend network that she doesn't really appreciate the stakes just aren't that high for me I guess I just think we're not invested in in any of these (laughs) yeah like plots of it yeah I mean I, I I feel like it's hard because, you know, I'm a white girl with anxiety, so this should have been written, like, right for me, but she is not really even, the mental health aspect is also not something she's reckoning with. It's, like, a, it's another subplot, and it doesn't, like, it does get her, she does have these panic attacks at work that have her, like, she loses her job, but she still writes a fucking novel. Like, how many people in the world have written a novel? So, like, yeah, she's doing bad, but she's not doing that bad. Like, 
she can't wait tables on top of everything else she's doing. But ultimately, like her day to day, her dating life seems to be fine. Her writing life seems to be fine. Her friendships are fine. Like, I feel like that's the struggle. There just is nothing like the serving job is the least important thing in her life. And that's the one thing she loses in the book. I think I'm just not fully invested in the story or in Casey. I'm not like rooting for a lot of her because I don't feel like I know her well enough to be rooting for all any part of her life because there's so many parts of her life. And I feel like she's not doing a lot of deep thinking about it. Um, I think, yeah, the privilege thing is, is there. I do think, you know, obviously having privilege doesn't mean you don't go through hardship, but I just think that the way this is written could have been, could have been different or could have talked about that in a different way. I yeah. also want to just real quick, this lump, I forgot about this, but she goes to the doctor and this oncologist is like, oh, that lump is normal. Bye. I mean, like, kicks her out of the room. I'm like, you're not going to do an MRI. We're not going to talk about it. You're not going to biopsy it. She a marble, and we're just like, yeah, no, no biopsy, nothing. You didn't even, like, look at the mammogram with her. I'm like, this seems extremely unrealistic. And also, just like, again, setting expectations that if your primary care doctor sends you to a specialist, it's probably not your lymph node or whatever he said. Like, they should know what that is. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> and then she just walks out. She doesn't even question it. This chick's questioning everything in her life, and she's like, Oh yeah, he felt it and we're good. Like that's it, she's done. I was like, this seems really underdeveloped. Her like health insurance and her health journey seems really irrelevant. I don't know. To what is happening yeah. to her. The hard part with okay, we read primarily women's fiction. We read a lot of stories featuring like a white female protagonist. And I think that's the hard part is like, I know this character. I've read books about this. Like you got to give me something more like I just don't like I've like I I, I just read Bunny with by Mona Awad about a female writer I just read Wild Game about another female writer I just read another book about a like I just there's like too many of this exact same character and you really got to tell me something new or take me somewhere new for me to really enjoy books these days I'm just like a hard I'm a hard sell Okay, I feel like that makes more sense. Like, you got to give me – not that the other part didn't make sense, but that, like, brings it home for me, I guess. It's like we know this story and the fact that it was like things are hard and she's grieving and then everything turns out fine. Even in Crying in H Mart, which I did not love, as we know, I feel like that book, her grief was so raw. I feel like I have never seen grief that up close before and never watched somebody go through something like that. And even though I didn't love reading about it, I do feel like – like you're saying, that was something, there was something else there besides this, a female artist and what she's going through. So what do you give the book overall? I'm nervous. Um, I would give it like a two and a half out of five, maybe a three. I do think some of the quotes from the book, I really like um, her commentary about success and gender stays with me. Some of her like one-off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lines it seems like for you also stuck really well so I yeah. agree Lily is a really good writer I think just the space I'm at right now this is not the type of book that I will think about I've already sort of forgotten the details of this book sadly yeah I agree what's your rating I think a three I think that it was fine I think in different parts, I appreciated different things in this book. Like in the beginning, I did appreciate kind of the atmosphere you're in and the restaurant and the friends there. But I wish it would have been more like Sweet Bitter where like that's the plot. You're in that restaurant the whole time. And then 
I appreciate kind of the writing process and I appreciate the anxiety part of it, but I appreciate them at different parts and overall as a book, it felt a little disconnected to me. Um, but I think Lily's, yeah, her one-offs, her metaphors, her ways of describing how things feel can be really beautiful. And I think she is a good writer. I could read something else by her someday. Um, but yeah, I think a three. Yeah. I also think, again, I'm, this is a case where I'm spoiled by my own expectations because I had heard a lot about this book. This book is really well rated. So we could definitely be in an unpopular opinion, <laughs> although we seem to be sort of aligned. I don't quite get it. Yeah, that's how I feel. I couldn't, I can say, like, we, we put this question to Emily, our special guest, and I also couldn't say what Lily's core message for us is. Keep doing what you're doing, ignore your debt, and it will work out. That's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um, Cancel student loan debt. Um, I agree. I don't know what the general point of it was, but I I felt that it was nice. I felt that it was fine. I told someone this weekend at a pride party, they were like, yeah, he's really nice. And I was like, okay, so you don't like him? He's like, well, no, no, it's fine. I do like him. He's nice. And I was like, "If if the first thing somebody says about me is like, she's nice. I am done. You don't like that. That is the least interesting thing about this situation, like the least interesting thing you can say about somebody. So that's kind of fine about this book. Like it was nice. It was nice. I think this book is too autobiographical to be compelling because I don't think Casey is sort of held in a critical light by Lily. Like I really think I empathize with authors because they have to create characters that they love, but they also have to like sort of look at them objectively and look at them from an outsider and also sort of torture them and like put them in really stressful positions. And that's tough. But one thing (laughs) that happened in this section, she's talking to the therapist and the therapist says, so what are you scared of? I mean, really scared of, I try and think about it. She responds, I'm scared that if I can't even handle this right now, how will I be able to handle bigger things in the future? That's your fear. That's not your fear. Like primal fears, like down to what they are is like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm unlovable. I'm alone. I can't handle this. I'm not strong enough. I can't even handle this. I can't make it through what other things. There's more. No, there's more to that fear. And I think Lily maybe can't say what it is. But we need more. Mm. Casey needs more. I think it's more. What does it mean you can't handle it? Because you are handling it. That's she true. Is you are it. handling it. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like, yeah. What are you actually afraid of? Like, even like, I'm going to fall apart. Okay. What would that mean? Like, what would that mean? That would mean you'd be alone. That would mean no one would love you. That would mean you You're don't right. have purpose. Okay. Like, okay. I just feel like there's a deeper, I just over-therapized. So <laughs> I feel like... You know, I mean, this is also like the key to having an effective relationship is like you have to identify what are they, what is the fear that they're bringing up in you? Is it like abandonment? Yeah. Is it worthiness? Like right. it's, okay. it just really Fair. usually comes down to those like key themes, I think. Yeah. And that's, I think that like I was looking for that one big take home in the last section and instead it was like, oh, we're happy. I agree. I feel like we just didn't get deep enough into so many things in this book. But there's so much potential for us to have gotten deeper into one of the things. Also, random cameo by David Byrne. What? Really unnecessary. <laughs> Wait, 
With Mary Hand, they go to that concert, and then he's oh, like, yeah, the song like, is for Mary. Why was that whole... So many little things that I have already forgotten happened in this book. Yeah. Well, anyways, that's how we felt. I am looking forward to reading our next book, and we will have a special episode coming for you next week. Next week, we are going to do a special episode on Funny You Should Ask, the like buzziest book of this year so far by Elisa Sussman. I can't wait to talk about it. I have so many feelings and I also have so many feelings that this book is so buzzy. So please tune in next week. You know, you not love another and female I. writer, not another rom-com. That's when we do our best work though. Those are our best debates. Content creation is literally around a rom-com and apparently a female writer. <laughs> I'm excited. So that will be out next week. And then after that, we are starting our next book club read the woman in the library. So if you are reading along with us for that uh, book club series, get a copy of that book, either from bookshop.org or your local library. Yay. Hello, everyone. My name is Emily Yaksik. I am a drama teacher and book lover living in Columbus, Ohio, and I am one fourth of the Don't Bully My Book Club. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Don't Bully My Book Club. Before we get started, can I just, how did you come up with that name? Or like, what's the premise of the Don't Bully My Book Club? How'd you guys come up with that? Uh, two of our book club members have pit bulls. <laughs> And so that's how it started. I don't have a pit bull. I love pit bulls. <laughs> so it's like kind of funny for me talking about the whole pit bull connection, but that's how it started. I was wondering if you had a pit bull. I was like, I don't think that she does, but I maybe she does. I don't have any dogs. I don't have any pets, but, okay. but I love them. I love them. Noted. <laughs> All right, let's start with our questions. So the person that I fell in love with the most in this book was Muriel, both her friendship and her love for Casey and being a well-respected, talented artist in her own right. She's often a calming voice, and she's definitely Casey's most stable friendship throughout the book. What did you think of their friendship and how it displays a different angle to female friendships than we usually see? I 100% agree with you. I loved Muriel. She was so supportive of Casey always introducing her to people, um, really getting her involved in the like writing circle and community that she was in in Boston. I just wish the author would have given us a little more. I needed more Muriel. I needed to know about her background more. I just felt like it was a little, this is her best friend, but what else? I totally agree. I also feel like one of Casey's issues is that she didn't disclose the things she was dealing with with anybody in her life. And I wish there would have been a conversation with Muriel about her mental health, about grief. They seemed like so close in other ways, like professionally working together, being close friends, but Casey didn't like lean on her in any way. I feel like there were like Muriel, there was a lot of other threads in there that were kind of underdeveloped or maybe just unfinished. So I didn't know enough about Muriel. I didn't know enough about Luke. Um, the Caleb and Adam storyline, I still feel like completely shocked about. Like, did that happen? Did I just read that? Um, we don't know even a lot about her mom. Like we know about 
how she died a little bit, but we don't know a lot about her history, et cetera. And then even Casey's medical issues. I feel like there was just a lot of little subplots. Um, did these loose ends bother you? Did you think that they were intentional or what do you think the point of having kind of all of these intersecting stories was? I don't know if I would say they bothered me, but I mean, it definitely like kept you reading, wanting more, asking more questions. The Caleb and Adam though, I, I could go off on that. I, that came out of left field for me. <laughs> it was like, what is happening as I'm reading this? And then I was like, do I need to go back in the book? Because that is also how I felt. I was like, what did I miss? I must have missed something here. Turns out I didn't. It did come out of left field. Did Adam have a wife at the beginning that he was going through divorce with? Is that, did I read that? That's what I thought. Oh, I don't remember the wife, but I did feel like there was a, one of our predictions was that her and Adam might get together. I definitely thought that that was maybe a potential. I did not. And I knew him and Caleb were friends. Did not expect them to be more than friends. Yeah, I thought he was straight the whole time. I mean, maybe he's I mean, who knows <laughs> his sexuality at this point, but I, I did not see that coming. And then he was, Caleb was there and so random to me. But um, I'm trying to think about what other plot lines. I mean, like the, the Luke, Luke, yeah. Once he dropped her off at that Sunoco station and you never heard from him again. <laughs> that was like, I could have like, I mean, he was probably unhealthy for her. That wasn't a great relationship, but it did just like, end there at that Sunoco station so that was a little random I feel like she was trying to teach little things about Casey through these stories but sometimes authors do and sometimes I felt like she did it really well but sometimes I was just like I feel like this could have been done with in a different way than introducing a new character or like a new storyline we could have still gotten the same understanding of like Casey's journey without introducing a new character Katie and I have been arguing this whole book about whether Casey is relatable or not and or whether she's sympathetic as a main character. Whether you're sympathetic and, to her. Yes. Whether we feel bad for her. Yeah. Yes. And I'm on the side that I don't feel bad for her. Would love to hear your opinion as our tiebreaker. But I think part of the frustrating thing is that all these other characters come in and basically all we see is their intersection with Casey and nothing beyond that. And it just like serves... The fact that she's so self-centered. She just like puts Caleb on the plane and she's like, good luck. I'm sure your husband will understand. Anyways, I got to go make out with Silas. Like it just felt, everybody else felt shallow in a way that seemed to reflect Casey's view of them. Like, do you not have any follow-up questions for your brother? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Towards the end of the book, I really wasn't feeling sympathetic towards her. I mean, she got this like huge book deal. She like has this job She's with the boy at the end. I don't know. I wasn't feeling for her at the end either. I read your Instagram thing this morning. You were like, it was a little too wrapped up for me. Is that what you mean by that too? Yes. Like the ending, I like did not like the ending at all. And maybe because I'm coming from the educational background um, and I could talk about that, but just the whole like going to the private school on the East coast, getting this like perfect job, you know, you're going to be an English teacher at this like private school where the math teachers play rock music in the morning assembly. I'm like, what is happening? This is not real life. And I get that my educational field is a little different than hers. I'm like inner city urban, but just that like walking in and like everything is just sunshine and roses. And you can like really screw up this interview with this headmaster and she's still going to hire you and surprise the boy you like just came for like a field trip at your school I'm like no this is not real life like no 
I felt the same way. She like doesn't have any pedagogical ex- like expertise or experience at all. And they're like, that's fine. Anyway, you start on Monday. Wait, what does that word mean? Sorry, this is a dumb question. But what is that? Is it's that like, like the, curriculum It's like building? a teaching, teaching philosophy. Yeah, Got it's it. like okay. what you learning how to teach. I mean, because be most teachers, way. you not only have to have a degree, but most teachers have a master's degree. Or like experience in it. Yeah, it's not always about the content knowledge. Like you have to know the art of teaching as well. And I, I mean, she she knows her content. Like she really does. She's a great writer. You can see that. Um, but you just can't be a teacher in like a week. Like it's just not going to work. It just doesn't exactly. It's not going to work for me. I do feel like right. I felt. I felt bad for Casey through a lot of the story. And this is what Erica and I kept kind of talking about. I know we're not following the questions, but it's fine. Um, I felt bad for her through a lot of the story because I feel like even though her story wasn't super traumatic and wasn't awful, there was still a lot she was struggling with. And I think that this book is still about like her going through and her grieving her mom while also trying to like get her the rest of her life together. The rest of her life isn't that bad. So I think how I was seeing it was like, the perspective of how much the grief is affecting her view of the rest of her life and how she can't like get her, get herself out of it. But at the end I was like, okay, so then she just gets everything she's ever wanted. Like it was annoying at the end, but I felt bad for her. I think up until she literally walked in, bombed the interview, didn't give a shit, got the job, got the boy, got the $93,000 or whatever she asked for some absurd amount of money. I have no idea if that's realistic or not for a book deal, but she was like, um, $73,000 in debt plus the rent for a top floor apartment for the year. That's my dream number. And then she just like gets her dream number. I was like, is that how this works? This is wild. I do know, because I think it's important. I do know that there was a thread on Twitter a while ago of authors, like really famous authors talking about their first book deal and like how much they made. And Roxanne Gay for Bad Feminist, I think only got like $35,000. So for first-time authors, like, if you don't have a following, like, you really don't get that much. And to, like, to think about how many years you spend writing a book to only get $30,000 is pretty bad. Obviously, it gets better as you become more well-known and uh, move up to a bigger publishing house. But, yeah, that was slightly unrealistic, I would say. And I think she's struggling with grief. But, again, she's not struggling to the point where she's, like, incapacitated. Like, she wrote a fucking novel. I think she is a little incapacitated though. She is having like these anxiety and panic attacks. She is like crying on her way to work and crying on her way home and not able to like sometimes even deal with being at work. And it's not as bad, but I think that she was kind of trying to portray the grief there. I don't know. Emily, what do you think? (laughs) For me, reading stories that has like a lot of trauma or anxiety in the characters, I just want it to be over with. That's like my my personality. I just want it to be over with. So I read so quickly through those sections that I'm like, did I miss something? But I don't, it just, it, to me, like the first half of the book, there wasn't a lot of that anxiety in that character. Like Casey, I mean, she was obviously going through some stuff, but it wasn't like expressly written in the book. But then like, as it goes, it just like keeps just getting bigger and bigger. And I don't, I guess I didn't see the like, what was it? What triggered her? What happened in the story that all of a sudden, all of this anxiety is like coming out? Because like, I mean, she was in debt at the beginning. She had her mom issue was already her dad, like all of that had already been established at the beginning of the book. So I don't know, like halfway through the book, why it's being escalated. 
I had the same exact comment. Like, what is making it worse for her? I'm not sure, but I've never lost a parent, so I don't know about, like, I've never experienced that type of grief and how it comes in waves, so Mm -hmm. I get it, but I had the same thought. Like, where is this kind of coming from? Is there more tension that we needed to sort of justify that part of the plot? Then I thought maybe it's just, like, that's how she identifies. That's her personality is having these, like, anxious thoughts, And now that she's kind of like finishing her book and kind of like, you know, living it up with Oscar and his kids, like, is she like afraid of that? So she's like reverting back a little bit because that's like fearful. That's something that she doesn't know. And so you would think that would be a good thing, but it's the unknown. So it could also be a bad thing. I read somewhere that one of the struggles that, Casey was having with Oscar was being like put into this mom role and maybe that was exaggerating her mom issues which makes perfect sense but I don't think that thread was ever like drawn through okay I will agree that we could have she could have been more clear about how this was causing her anxiety because I feel like I can see it yeah she's being thrown into the mom role and that's not helping the boys have a lot of grief also specifically about their mom so I felt like that made sense as well. That could be impacting how she was processing it, but I don't think it's clear. I think we have to draw all those conclusions on our own. Okay, so this next question. So Casey forms a very sweet connection with Oscar's kids and her conversations with them often are helping to give her a voice to her own grief and help her kind of work through it or reckon with it, which I kind of saw as a thread of how she was becoming more anxious throughout the book. How do you think that this connection with the boys helps Casey process losing her mom How do you think she maybe helps the boys as well through their grief? I think that Casey can just really appreciate where they're coming from. Um, I know that sounds kind of stupid, but she can really understand their emotions because they're coming at it from such a different age than she was when she lost her mom. So the way that they're explaining their feelings and their emotions towards their mom's death are coming from these really like youthful, juvenile kind of I don't even know if they know how to fully express themselves. And so when you have someone who just kind of puts it in black and white for you, I guess is a good way to put it, you can be like, oh yeah. Like it's really eye-opening to hear it from a different perspective and especially like a younger perspective. So I thought that was kind of nice because she was so much older when her mom had that tragedy happen to her in South America. I can't even imagine being that young and losing your mom. And then to hear the youngest boy say like, I don't even know if I remember her. Is that right? Yeah. I think that maybe it helps Casey rather than hurts her to realize, like, at least I had this time. At least I developed this adult relationship with my mom. Like, I'm so lucky to have gone through my teenage years with her and then, you know, been able to have her as a as a friend, it seems like. And maybe it would help her get more perspective. Again, that's why it's confusing that she then is like having worse anxiety, because if anything, I feel like that would make you appreciate the years that you did have. Maybe as a writer, she a little bit appreciates that she can form like her own ideas and opinions about her mom and about going through that tragedy, because that story that the little boys were telling with their dad about the nurse, it was just like so rehearsed and like this is how this made you feel. And then the nurse came and this is how this made you feel. And this is how you're always going to feel about that situation because we're going to retell it to everyone we know. And it's such a cute little anecdote, but it's not like 
who knows if that's how that kid was feeling. He's just like regurgitating this story that they're telling him over and over about like his mom in the hospital. So maybe at that point, Gacy can kind of realize like I can form my own opinions and ideas and I don't have to kind of like relive it through what other people are telling me. All right. Now I want to talk about the Silas versus Oscar debate. So we are really on this journey with Casey as she tried to figure out what is really important to her in a partner and somebody she wants to be in a relationship with. She's trying to figure this out by dating both Silas and Oscar at the same time. What did you think about these two men? What did you think about their uh, distinct relationships with Casey? And were you rooting for one of them to end up with her? So I was never rooting for Silas. <laughs> I was never team Silas. <laughs> he was like always just like, I was like, no, don't ever pick Silas. And at the beginning, I was rooting for Oscar. I thought he was like really steady and just like a really good like pillar for her and her kind of like craziness that she was going through. But then uh, just things went downhill a little quickly for me with Oscar starting with when he asked her to babysit his kids when he was going away. I was like, we're done. Absolutely not. No more Oscar. You're not like, you can't be a babysitter and a girlfriend. Like this is not going to happen. And he really wanted her, like you've been saying this whole time in her, in that mom role for his kids. But that like comes with some time and relationships and bond. Like you can't just like force that to happen. And Casey was like great at it. And I think that's why he was, pushing it so much because she comes over with the cards and this and the cookies and she's great at it but like he needs to pump the brakes a little bit so I don't know I also I feel like once she started really thriving in that mom role he was like actually I hate this actually I want to be the center of attention and I'm confused why you thought you'd come in here and my kids would like you <laughs> like isn't that what you were trying to force her to do Again, to like sort of Casey's self-centeredness, Oscar is also grieving. He lost his wife and it's very tempting to sort of try and force a relationship to fit to like resolve that hole. I mean, I'm sure we've all been in a rebound relationship where you're like, oh my God, I love you. I love you. Let's like go right back to the relationship I just lost. But this is times you know, a hundred because it's also the mother of his kids, the person he depended on, somebody who was really stable and helped him do life together. So I empathize with Oscar and all of his awkwardness in his first relationship. I didn't like Oscar either. I was like, this man is boring. And also on paper, I feel like Oscar looks good. Like he's got his shit together. He's a famous writer. But then once we started to see him as he really is. And he was like self-conscious and kind of like a petulant child at times. And he's moody and he can't talk. I'm like, no, this guy is annoying. <laughs> like, he can't handle his feelings. His I did say anything. divisive. I know. I also, okay. So what did you think about her and Silas in the beginning? And then kind of as that relationship developed, did you like him more towards the end or when they reconnected or were you like anti-Silas the whole time? So honestly, like when he kind of broke off that first date because he had to go be in the mountains or whatever he's, whatever his excuse was, I was like, oh, that character's done because we had already been introduced to Luke and Luke was there and he was gone. So I thought Silas was going to be the same type of character. I thought he was going to be there for a little bit and gone. But all of a sudden he's back. He's leaving like voicemails on her phone. So I don't know. I wasn't into it. I was like, he already left her. Like, no, like, let's just stop it. I was never into Once he left, I was like, You're, it's done. Sorry. Goodbye. Goodbye. I guess that will foreshadow your answer to the next question. But do you think that Silas and Casey will last? No. 
Absolutely not. <laughs> so sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she just, she right now to me, Casey is just so excited. She has a new job. She has this huge book deal. She's probably going to get this top floor apartment or penthouse or whatever she wants. And she like has the boy making out with him in the school teacher parking lot, like the faculty lot, like how romantic. <laughs> like, it's not romantic. And, and so like, no, as soon as, no, she, that's going to end very quickly. I think it's just like, she needed her little fairy tale in that moment and that's fine. But like, no, I think it's over. I keep thinking about this fireworks or coffee quote, which I've mentioned like 10 times. Oh. Like it's either fireworks or coffee in bed. And I feel like Oscar was the potential coffee in bed, the potential like steady, dependable. Silas is the fireworks. I don't know if he can transition to being what she needs long term, but he is like back and it's like hot and heavy right now. But I also, I don't know if it'll last. I feel like it's a little bit underdeveloped too, even their like actual feelings for each other besides this clear physical connection that they have. It definitely seems just like lust that they're in and infatuation and I'm here for it and I hope she enjoys it but I don't feel like they have the foundation for a strong relationship and I don't think that it was written in a way that made us root for them really yeah I think one of the things that she talks about is like when she finds his like manuscript in Oscar's closet that like Silas was there for the, the writing and she finds it. And then she's like, it's the only thing I could read. Like everything else I can't read right now, except Silas's work. And I just found that so, so bizarre that that was like, what was really like pulling her back to Silas was that his like manuscript. And I think it was just like the thrill of the, like the secret and finding it in Oscar's closet. Like all of that is what she was into. Not necessarily like the writing or whatever Silas was dealing with in his manuscript. Well, don't forget, he also has a chipped tooth, so. <laughs> I also think, <laughs> I'm dead as a chipped tooth. I also think there's a part of her who didn't know Silas enough because he literally asked her out and then was like, I'm sorry, I have to go find myself, which like, I am rolling my eyes if you can't see that. So then he leaves and I feel like finding this manuscript, she's like, okay, I can figure out how to connect with him. I can find out more about him. So she's like, so into reading this manuscript, but she's not actually getting to know Silas, like. She's getting to know his writing, and we know with Oscar, it's so they don't always match up. So I feel like she's so obsessed with this manuscript because it's bringing her a step closer. It's like the thrill of the chase with Silas, though. She's like, he, she can't have him, so she wants him more. I think we talked about this a little bit, but I still want to ask the specific question. So the theme of Casey's anxiety is pretty visceral throughout the book. We feel it, as you kind of talked about earlier, getting worse throughout the book. We see her it fully falling apart kind of during her panic attack outside of the restaurant. I think that in writing, especially in a character study book like this, mental health can be really hard to portray. And it is so subjective to how you experience your men your own mental health. How do you think that King handled writing this? And what did you think of her portrayal of anxiety or of grief um, throughout the book? I think her portrayal of anxiety throughout the book almost, I don't know how to say this in a, in a you can just know. say it, and then if we need to redo it, you can. But just like, like, it yeah. seemed like it. her anxiety throughout the book made it seem like it was necessary in this, like, writer's process. Because this whole book is just, like, about writers and their process. And there's so many different writers. And it made it seem like one successful way to get your manuscript out is to, like, go through all of this trauma. And I don't know if that's necessarily, like, the best message. And I know that there were other messages 
like kind of in her text, but like a little bit from like from the character of Casey, I felt that the author wanted you to see that like she kind of had to go through all of this to get to the success she finds at the end of the story. I feel like that's a really good point. I did not think of, but she is kind of portraying it that way. Like this is what made her writing better too. And her writing does seem really dependent on her emotions. So there are like certain times when things happen to her and then all of a sudden she has this huge burst of being able to like finish her novel or like miraculously remember all the edits that she forgot, like because of something that has emotionally affected her in her life. So it does make it seem like it's necessary to that like troubled writer trope. Yeah. And at the very beginning when she's at that writer's cabin workshop, whatever, where, where Luke is and she can't write a single thing. And, you know, you're like, she's so happy. She's with Luke. She doesn't know about, you know, his secret life and his wife and all of that. And she's not writing anything. And then she gets back and she's going through all this other stuff kind of in her like day to day normal life. And this is when she's like really cranking out her novel. So. But I mean, Lily King also does a nice job of, you know, you see Luke and he's going through all of this good stuff and he's creating all of this stuff as well. So, I mean, she does show both sides of it, but just for specific character of Casey, I thought she like had to show all of the gritty stuff to show that that's what it takes. That's what you need to put in to kind of find success. Such a good point. I didn't even think about it, but now like, it's just another reason I didn't love this book, (laughs) but I do think like, okay, so she gets health insurance and I feel like she's going through grief. She's dealing with panic attacks, like crippling panic attacks that like stop her in the middle of her workday. Why would you not go to a therapist with your new insurance or talk to your primary care physician about mental health issues? That would have been a great feature. And I agree with you. There's this idea that people have that like, oh, well, my anxiety helps me prepare for the future or it helps me be a better, more productive person. I've literally heard people say, I don't want to take medication to reduce my anxiety because it'll take away my edge. And that is just not true. And (laughs) the best stuff flows from like a settled place. And that doesn't mean you can't tap into your emotions like Katie was saying, but there's a difference between your emotions and your deep thoughts and rumination and anxiety, which can really wreak havoc on you and people in your life. So great point. And I wonder if some of this kind of mental health and her not seeking help. Cause once she got that healthcare, she was like, gotta go to the dermatologist, gotta go to the gynecologist, gotta like do all this stuff on my checklist. But I wonder, I mean, this book is set in 1997, which you sometimes I think you forget. You don't realize. I mean, they talk about Princess Diana Diana dying a little bit and like, you know, the the home phones a little bit and all the voicemails on the home phone. But besides that, I mean I don't feel like I feel like I'm reading a book from night that's set in 1997. It feels very fresh and very new, but I wonder if that's part of the mental health. I mean, today we live in a culture where that's so much on the forefront and everyone's talking about it, but in 1997, I don't know. I don't know what that, you know, looked like. I don't think it was as common as it is now, or at least everybody was talking about it, that it's something you would just obviously go and do. You would walk into your primary care office and be like, yeah, I want to see, I want to go to therapy. Especially if you have an event, I feel like it's almost... I could see her doing it if her anxiety and her like panic attacks were not kind of directly tied to these like big events that were happening in her life. But I feel like she's like, this is a result of all the things that are happening in my life. And so she's like not seeking help for it. But I do think it was 
some of the ways that she described anxiety I really liked, like when she was talking about like the bees in her body, like this feeling of like the buzzing and the bees under her skin. I felt like there were some really good descriptors of how it felt to be, at least for me, like how it feels to be anxious or how it feels to like, and then when she says for one second, I think I wrote it down. She's like, for one second, the bees turn to honey. Like when she finally feels calm for a second. So I thought there were some like powerful metaphors about anxiety, but I don't love the tying it to her writing process as like a necessary evil to go through. Also, it would be fine if the commentary was that like at the time in the 90s, mental health wasn't acknowledged and she wasn't able to reckon with how much she was struggling. But I don't think Casey, I mean, I don't think Lily writes that into the book at all. There's no like critique of the way she's handling her mental health or the way she's handling her relationships, which I found frustrating. Emily, how do you feel about reading books where people are struggling with anxiety or panic attacks or grief is that something that's difficult for you to read do you enjoy books like that it is difficult for me to read it just and I don't I don't even know if I can describe why it's just difficult it's just I always say it's it's not it's like when someone's going through something you kind of want to give them their space and you want to give them time to process and heal and yes you can be there to support them and your friends and whatever they need and your family, whatever they need. But sometimes you want to give people a little space. And so sometimes when you're reading and you're really invested in a character like Casey or, or whatever book you're reading, you almost don't want to read about it. Cause you're like, I just like give them a little space right now. I don't want to like know everything. And I know that sounds weird because you picked up the book. You obviously want to know what's going to happen, but sometimes I'm just like, I just want to step back a little bit. And then maybe like in a few more pages, or a few more chapters, something will have happened. And, Maybe they've healed a little bit. So it's hard for me. And I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but that's how I feel. I think it is hard to read when people are going through things and they're struggling. I think I felt just like fine about this book in general. It wasn't a book where I felt like I wanted to turn away from it. Sometimes when people are describing like struggling in mental health, like my year of rest and relaxation, there were definitely parts when I was like, I just want to like shut my eyes and skip the next 20 pages because I don't want to read how hard this is for you. especially when you're not, you're just like watching somebody struggle through this book and you have no control over like helping them through it or doing anything. You just have to like hope for the best. I think it can be stressful to read, but I did, I did like her kind of descriptions of what anxiety felt like. Um, yeah. What did you think, Erica? Um, I don't know. I have anxiety. So on the one hand, it's nice to feel like you see yourself reflected in a book when people struggle with anxiety, but I think it has to be handled well. And for me, it can give me anxiety to talk about anxiety or to read about it. So it's not always the most enjoyable experience, especially if it's not like sort of tied up into some bigger meaning. Like I think it her anxiety and her mental health is also something that sort of gets left on the cutting room floor and we don't really resolve it. And probably even worse, she thinks now I have a book and a boyfriend, now the anxiety will go away. And unfortunately, <laughs> in my experience, there's no like achievement that will mitigate that type of anxiety and panic that she's experiencing. What do you think is like the main thing she wanted us to get out of this book? Like when she sat down to write this book and Lily King was like, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think she wanted people to take home from it? 
I know I didn't give you that question in advance, so sorry, but I'm just curious what you think. Okay, so my biggest takeaway from the book, I'm kind of coming at it from an artist's perspective. I pride myself on being a performing artist. I love theater, and something I can really appreciate from this book, Writers and Lovers, is just the constant pursuit of her art and not giving up. I really identified with Casey in the sense that no matter what she was going through in her life, she had her writing. Whether she was successful at her writing, unsuccessful at her writing, kind of taking it on the back burner, or if she was like really immersive in it, I can appreciate someone just like really dedicated to their craft and their artistry. I love that. See, look, a happy thing to come from this book. (laughs) What else are you reading right now? And is there any books that you would recommend? So right now I am currently reading Annie and the Wolves. I don't know if either of you have read that. Um, I'll say it's kind of slow going for me so far. I'm about halfway through, but um, it has to do with an academic who's researching Annie Oakley and it flashes the timeline between present day research of Annie Oakley and then actual like Annie Oakley in the 1800s and 1900s. So um, I'm liking it. It's just like a little slow. So I can't give like a full recommendation yet, but I just feel like being an Ohio girl, anything about Annie Oakley, I'm like, let me try it. <laughs> I just feel like she's such I, an Ohio girl. Like, <laughs> I wrote so many book reports on Annie Oakley growing up. I can't even tell you. Just like every single time. They're like, who do you want to write about? I'm like, Annie Oakley. <laughs> Me too. I like don't like guns. I don't know anything about any of that. But I'm like, Annie Oakley, she's <laughs> She's a badass, okay? Like, it's fine. <laughs> so that's why I picked up the book, mainly because it had Annie Oakley on the cover. So, And then also, so for um, our bookstagram and our book club, Don't Believe My Book Club, we read two books a month. And we recently read My Lady Jane, which is YA fantasy fiction. I don't know if you guys read any of that, but we like to mix it up. So I recently read that and it was was actually really hilarious. And I'm glad I read it. Something different kind of out of my comfort zone of reading. I read that very funny take on Lady Jane Grey and kind of the Protestant Catholic um, war that was going on in England at the time. So very funny, like that approach. And then um, starting listening to, because I do audiobooks as well, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which I know was really popular like a few years back, but just get into it now. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was so fun. Yes. Well, so good to talk to you. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. I didn't tell you this before we started, but I listened to like part one, two, and three of your episodes this morning (laughs) for Writers and Lovers. I I, I was like, I was like on my walk. I was like, I'm going to listen to all three of these. So I'm like fully prepared for their conversation. Yeah. So it's nice. That's so cute. Thank you for listening to them. I haven't even listened to part three yet. I'm bouncing right after this. It was great. You'll love it. You'll love it. You sounded great. So you get to hear Katie call Oscar a petulant child multiple times. (laughs) He is a petulant child. I can't stand this man. What books did you read this week? I feel like you're so far. For a second there, I thought I was catching up, but it's a lie. I'm not. 
I also up. thought you were catching up and I was like, we can't let this happen. I got to get back into reading. Wow. That's some bullshit. You were like, it's the competitive <laughs> thing. This is why I can't do workout classes with people. Cause I'm like, are you going, are you faster than I am right now? Like, I guess I'll have to pick it up and then I'm dying. And okay. I read funny. You should ask, which we'll talk about next week. I finished it because you finished it and I knew I had to pedal get, to the metal, get, it get through it. Ooh. I also finished wild game. I talked about this last week and I knew I would rip through that book. And boy, was I right. I could not get enough of the juicy drama, the family drama. I think it's also, it's another book about a writer and her relationship with her mom. And that book is like straightforwardly a memoir. So I, like, it was tough to read that at the same time we were reading Writers and Lovers. It's always hard when you read something that compares directly like that. I loved it. It really made me want to go to Cape Cod. There's like delicious descriptions of food. Her mom is such a complex, like enticing character. Ooh. And there is like a sort of a love story at the center of it. So it's a really good, it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. I think it's great for the summer. Then I also read The Last Thing He Told Me, which I had seen all over social media. If you look at the cover, you'll recognize this book. It I also read it in like a day and a half, two days, because I could not wait to figure out what happened. So this woman is married, has a stepdaughter, also posed issues with writers and lovers and like the relationship with step parents. And her husband one day just disappears and she has to sort of figure out what happened, what's going on, and also take care of his daughter. Bailey. And also raise the kid. Oh, God. What's really good. Called? Much more. It's called The Last Thing He Told Me. Much more suspenseful than I was expecting. And I don't love the way it ended, but it was a very satisfying read. Also a good one for the summer. More thrilling than I expected. Love that. Uh, The book I'm reading now is Paper Palaces, and I truly was falling asleep as I was reading it last night, so I could not tell you what it's about yet. I read nothing this week. I was like not in a reading mood. I finished Writers and Lovers, obviously, but other than that, I basically watched almost two full seasons of Grace and Frankie um, and worked a lot. (laughs) So that's it. Cheers. Um, But yeah, I just like was distracted and did not feel like reading this week, but I did start a new book that I got. Look how pretty this cover is. Ooh. I know. Okay. It's called Woman of Light. It's a dazzling epic of betrayal, love, and fate that spans five generations of an indigenous Chicano family in the American West. It's super highly rated and it's, it's cute so far. I think it's, there's a lot of scene setting happening. So I'm trying to like keep track of all of the characters and the time periods and what they're doing, but I have a good feeling about it. So that's what I'm reading now. I also started, I think I was talking about this last week, that 600 page book, (laughs) the extra spicy. I put that down. So I eliminated my list of books that I was reading and like didn't finish. And I was like, I'm just starting fresh. I'm not going to keep because I keep a list of books I've read and then I have a book of a list of books I'm currently reading. And I was like, I have to just start over. There's like seven books on here that I'm currently reading. Like I'm not actually reading any of these. <laughs> so I deleted it and I'm starting over with this one. Proud of you. Life's too short. All right. Well, have a good week. Okay. You too. Love you. Bye. Happy reading. Love you. Bye. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. 
with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. I was like waiting for you the whole time though to talk of also about like Casey's banana seat bike and why she is an adult riding a banana seat bike. Like I was just waiting for you guys to talk about that. I was like, she's riding a banana seat bike. Like I didn't know they made like they don't make those in adult sizes, right? Like well, I feel like it was 1997, maybe. 1997. I mean, there we go. <laughs> there is the relatable part. It was 1997. Yeah, I mean, I probably had a banana seat bike in 1997. I definitely part. did. We called it Dubby because we had to, we could fit two people on the seat. That was like, yes, exactly. That was the point of having a banana seat bike was you could like right. layer layer some kids on it. Yeah, kid on the back, she, kid on your handlebars, kid on the pegs. Yeah. And, and here she is just riding it to work, riding it to Oscar's house.